Let's pray. Well, thank you for Advent season. Thank you for that word, Emmanuel, that word that means God with us, that that you came through Jesus to be with us. I pray for the young ones that that word and that idea would have great meaning for them during the next few weeks. Pray for their time today and friends of Jesus. Lord, instruct them. Give them a a great experience of learning from your word and learning from each other and from their teachers, Lord. Lord, as we are here in the sanctuary starting an Advent uh, preaching series, I pray you would meet us in your special way. Instruct us, encourage us, challenge us. May we believe in Jesus who came and who is coming. We pray in his name. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. Meet you in the name of Christ. If you're a visitor, a first-time person, or just visiting city, we want to give a special greeting to you. Uh, this is uh, the Advent uh, month. We, we had a great celebration uh, to kick it off uh, last night. Some of us are very tired, but we're here, and we're here to give God the worship that he deserves every Sunday morning because he's worthy of it. Well, last, last night, we had a great celebration, and we end up... Uh, the, the, the gospel choir ended with the, 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 the gospel hallelujah chorus from, uh, actually comes from Handel's Messiah, Frederick Handel, the, the uh, um, great uh, author. And uh, that, that piece that he did years ago uh, has taken many allusions from the prophets, particularly from the prophet Isaiah in the scripture of the Old Testament. Isaiah was one of the major prophets of the Old Testament. There are several major prophets. There's Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel. And then you have the minor prophets. Now, the major prophets are major, not because they're more important, because those are big books, okay? The minor prophets are smaller books, minor books, not minor in significance. And, and th- for this year's Advent series, we're, we're choosing four of the minor prophets. So we, we, today, we're going to look at Malachi, these uh, small but significant uh, uh, prophecies um, <clears throat> from these four prophets. Today, Malachi... Uh, chapter 3, verse 1 to 7, and chapter 4, verse 1 to 3. Two passages from this book that point us towards the coming one, the Messiah. You have, you have a pew Bible there? You have it on the overhead? The passage from the ESV translation. <coughs> Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, He's coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner. And do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me. Now I will return to you, 
says the Lord of hosts. Then skipping to chapter 4, the first three verses. <clears throat> For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day is coming, the day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. You shall tread down the wicked, for, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the, on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. God's word for us. You know, all human beings, I believe, have a longing for, a yearning for love and peace and, and pleasure and, and happiness and, and, and the good things of life and <clears throat> have a sneaky suspicion, all of us, that though we find a measure of that, there's a lot more that we wish we had. We, we, we share that longing with people throughout the ages. The people of, of Malachi's time, they had that universal longing, that universal yearning for a better time. In fact, Malachi's generation, if you remember the, the history, uh, this was after the, the discipline time, the exile, where the people of Israel were exiled for 70 years, and they returned back to the land. And I imagine they were looking, they, they were reminiscing about their history and about the time when, when David reigned and, and Solomon reigned and, and the people of Israel were having great success and prosperity in that region over the whole world. I imagine if we will look back, there maybe have been some people who had these red caps that said, make Israel great again. I don't know. That, that, that's what's going on, as Malachi writes. And the good news is that, that God knows this longing, this yearning that we all have for something better, for something more. And he's not left us to ourselves. He sees our needs, our many needs. Especially he sees our greatest need, which sometimes we don't see, that deepest need. But Jesus comes to us to meet us right where we are. And that's what Christmas is about. Christmas tells us that the one who resides in the heavens hears us and knows us, and sees us, and cares for us, and is there to meet our needs. Jesus comes to us as heaven's wonderful solution to our greatest needs. Jesus is the heavenly messenger. He's the heavenly messenger. Now Malachi, the, the prophet of this 5th century B.C. time, uh, points to, to the one who would come to address the needs of the people, looking ahead to one who, in, in his perspective was to come one time. But we know, looking back, he came once, he's coming again. And all the things he's, that, 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 that the prophets talked about that were going to happen, some have happened, and some are still to happen. So as we look at these prophecies, let's keep that in mind. These prophets are looking forward to what God is going to do through Messiah, who came and is coming now, Malachi is four, four very small chapters. It's a very brief book. It's the last book of our Old Testament. Malachi was a prophet of Israel, the minor prophet. He had a unique writing style. He, 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 he has a, a rhetorical question and answer style through this book. And he, he also, one thing I like about this book in, in the original language is there's a lot of puns and word plays. You can't see it all in the English, but that's okay. But, but he had an interesting writing style. Uh, one commenter talks about his, the, the people, the, the situation in which he was writing. George Robinson says that the temple, which had been rebuilt and, and dedicated in 516 B.C., was standing, and the routine of sacrifice had long been in operation again. Uh, serious abuses had crept into Jewish life, though, and pr the priests had become lax and degenerate. 
defective sacrifices were allowed to be offered upon the altar, and the people were neglecting their tithes. Divorce was common. Judah's covenant was forgotten. Excuse me, Ova's covenant was forgotten. And the people had grown skeptical of his righteousness, questioning sincerely their adoption as the peculiar people of his choice. And these, we know, were precisely the conditions which prevailed in, in Nehemiah's day. So the time of Nehemiah and Ezra, that's the era, general, of which we're talking about after the exile. <coughs> now, now, what is the message of Malachi in this book? His message to this post-exilic generation, and, and, but for all, it, it, it's to them, but it's for all believers in all generations. It's pretty simple. Remember God's special covenant love for you. Chapter 1, verse 2, I have loved you, he says. His glance at I have loved you. Don't forget why that exile occurred, because you rejected and not responded well to my love. So, so re repent and remain faithful to me as your Lord. Resist the temptation to compromise by mixing your faith with false faiths that are around you that you see. Maintain strong families and marriages so that the faith might be passed on to the next generation. Make sure that your clergy are in it for the right reasons. Sincere love for God and for the people rather than meeting their own personal ego needs and their own material needs. Those are some of the things that, that, that he's been talking about in this book, okay? Pretty relevant for our day, isn't it? Chapter 2, the last verse, there's a cry. There's a question. Again, it's not a question and answer here. Where is the God of justice? Where, where, is the, where is God? God, show up. What do you like? Do something. Where is the God of justice? In, in, in our passages today, we'll look at these two passages, and we're going to see three things, because the God of justice shows up. He shows up through Jesus. Jesus is the messenger of the covenant. He's the purifying refiner. And he's the son of righteousness with healing in his wings. First, he's the covenant messenger, the covenant messenger. The first verse, behold, I send my messenger. I send my messenger. By the way, the, the word Malachi in the Hebrew language, you, you know, you, you know, you know how, what it's translated? It's the word messenger. <laughs> so one, one reading this was messenger, Malachi, Malachi, uh, um, the, the reader at first glance would think that Malachi is speaking about himself, that he's the messenger, but no. The, the I in that first part of that first verse is God. God is sending the messenger, I. So Malachi is speaking the word of God there. I send my messenger, he says with his prophetic voice. And then the messenger, the, the second part of that verse, um, the, the messenger, he will prepare the way before me prepare of the way. Now, who could that be? Who could that be? Well, centuries earlier, Isaiah the prophet in chapter 40 has spoken of the one preparing the way of the Lord in a wilderness or a desert. The New Testament gospel writers are very clear. That's John the Baptist. John the Baptist. Now, this is John the Baptizer. When we hear John the Baptist, we think of John the Baptist as opposed to John the Methodist or John the Presbyterian or John the Assemblies. No, John the Baptizer. That's not his denomination. He was a bapt he did baptisms. John, John the Baptist is a forerunner. By the way, the, the reason why we've chosen this, this prophecy of Malachi as the first one of the four is because of John the Baptist. Think of the Gospels. Think of the Gospel of Matthew. Think of the Gospel of Luke. Both of them begin with a what we call the birth narrative, the story of the beginnings of Jesus. The Gospel of Mark, have you ever looked at how the Gospel of Mark begins? begins with the forerunner, John, the baptizer. 
And, and so the, for Mark, the story begins right there. So we begin, we chose to begin this series right here with, with Malachi, talking about this forerunner, the one who would be um, God's messenger. <coughs> um, in Luke chapter 1, Luke's birth narrative, John the, Baptist, John the baptizer's father, Zechariah, says this, you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. And so we know John's ministry before Jesus was to, to go to prepare people, prepare people by calling them to confess their sins and, and, to, and, and to do homage before the Lord and penitence and be baptized and submit to his ministry and, and to wait for the Messiah who was to come. And he did that on the Jordan River. And, and he was in the Judean countryside. He was, he was a strange, John was a strange-looking kind of fella. He had, he had a strange clothing, had a strange diet. Just look at what the New Testament says about John the baptizer. But he is, so he is the messenger who's to come to, to and who, who would say that uh, the one coming is the one that you need to point to, not me. He, he must increase and I must decrease, it says in the Gospel of John. John, John the baptizer is the one. And then the verse goes on. Verse 1, uh, the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. This is another messenger. This is John the baptizer here. This is the, the Lord who comes to the temple suddenly. The God of justice who you want to show up. Okay, here he is. The messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So this second part of verse 1, the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to the temple. Suddenness. And they've been waiting for God's anointing to show up. They've been waiting since Genesis and, 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 and through the prophets and Daniel, the chapter 9, the Messiah is to come. And, 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 and now the messenger of the covenant has showed up. The covenant. Kind of a, a big, big New Te Old Testament word, New Testament word too. But the ancient covenants were legal agreements between kings, two kings and two nations. They gave the, the terms of how they would relate to each other. Uh, in turn, it was sort of like a, a peace treaty. Normally the victor would offer the terms to the defeated foe. And so, of course, the weaker king would have to give in. I mean, he got beat, right? God offers his people. We're, he is the big God, and we're the little big king. We're the little kings on the earth. And he offers us, this, the, 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 the little kings, a covenant of peace. It's a peace treaty that God offers us in the gospel. He sets the terms, though, and he graciously demands compliance from us that we might thrive and might be blessed. So you can look at the Old Testament. You can see Adam had a covenant with God, and, and, and Noah had a covenant, and Abraham had a covenant, and, and David had a covenant. By the way, David's covenant is very interesting. Um, <coughs> excuse me, Abraham's covenant in Genesis 15. Um, the dramatic scene, a picture there, of, of God had sliced these animals in half, and then Abraham fell asleep, and it got dark. And then as he woke up, the, 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 it says a smoking fire pot, a flaming fire passed between the pieces. In the Old Testament uh, covenant uh, imagery, um, what would happen was instead of signing on a dotted line, they had this ceremony, and this mimics that ceremony of, of one passing through dead animals saying that if I don't keep the, 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 my obligations of this covenant, may this happen, may I be sliced in two by you if I don't, if I don't fulfill what I said. What's interesting there is that uh, in this covenant, Abraham is not the one who goes between. There's, a, there's a, a flaming fire from God, reminding us in Hebrews 12 that it says, our God is a consuming fire. God, God is the one who's sealing the deal here. 
That's good news. Because the covenant that we have with God is not dependent on us. It's dependent on him. And he will be faithful to his covenant. So there's a, again, there's Abraham covenant. There's a covenant with David. We looked at that a few weeks ago in, in the Chronicles series. We looked at the house, the, the son that was to come, the descendants of David. There's a wonderful picture of the new covenant that the prophets talked about. Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 to 34. Talk about that, where he says, the days are coming when I will make a new covenant, a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers. So it's going to be different. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God. There's something different about, about this. I shall be, they shall be my people. I'll be their God. They shall be my people. <coughs> I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. There's something different, something uh, extra special about this new covenant that Jesus Christ brings to us. So Jesus fulfilled the role as the ultimate messenger of a covenant. The messenger of the covenant. Messenger's task is quite simple. Carry a message from, from point A to point B with accuracy. Before, between being in seminary, finishing seminary in my first church, I had a lot, several jobs. One job that I had was, a, a, I was a messenger, a courier. Um, it, here in Baltimore, there was an old messenger ser uh, service called Carl Messenger Service. Anyone heard of Carl Messenger Service? See, they're not around anymore, I don't think. <laughs> Carl Messenger Service, you see them all the time. See, I think with, with technology, I don't, I don't know if there are a lot of couriers and messengers anymore. I know there's some, but they don't. The job that I had those years, uh, that year and a half, was to uh, work for, I, I would get in the car and go 200 miles down to Southern Maryland, in a van, actually they had a van for me, and I would pick up uh, bank work and bring it back to Baltimore. That was my job. And the, the task was to simply make sure I got there safely, grab the stuff, and bring it back to Baltimore safely. And it was not my job to read it, to study it, to change it, to tamper with it, to do none of that stuff. My job was to be a messenger, to, to, to carry it from point A to point B. Now, I learned, one of the things I learned in that job was the, important, the, 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 the task of a preacher a prophet, a messenger of God, is, is that you're not the message. <laughs> you're just a deliverer of the message. And, my, and our task as preachers and prophets or whatever is, is to accurately explain the word of God to those who need to hear it. Not to change it, not to contaminate it, not to soft sell it or to hard sell it. With accuracy, give what God's word says. That's the job of, of messengers of the gospel. Uh, I learned that over many, many, many months there. Normally, that's what messengers do. But here's the good news. The good news is that Jesus is different. He's always different, isn't he? Jesus is a different kind of a messenger because he himself is the message. He himself is the message. In Luke 20, he says, he talks about the new covenant in my blood. See, a human messenger needs to just deliver the message and not get involved in one sense and changing it. But Jesus is the message and the messenger. Jesus, you see, as we're saying, is heaven's solution to all of our needs. We need to listen to him and to follow him. The second thing in, that I see in this, this the passage moves on is Jesus comes to us as a purifying refiner, a purifying refiner, some imagery here, some background here <coughs> that we need to understand. 
uh, one verse I think gives some, shines some light on it is uh, from Ezekiel chapter 22, um, verses 18 to 22. Now, son of man, the house of Israel has become dross to me. All of them are bronze and tin and iron and, lead, and, and lead in the furnace. They are dross of silver. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have all become dross, therefore, behold, I will gather you into the midst of Jerusalem as one gathers silver and bronze and iron and lead and tin into a furnace to blow the fire on it in order to melt it. So I will gather you in my anger and my wrath, and I will put you in and melt you. I will gather you and blow on you with the fire of my wrath, and you shall be melted in the midst of it. As silver is melted in a furnace, so you shall be melted in the midst of it, and you shall know that I am the Lord. I have put out my wrath upon you. The, I, the imagery there is, is of a refiner, a refiner, melting of, of silver, melting of gold, shaping it. To do that, there's a lot of heat that has to be applied, a lot of heat that has to be applied. John Piper, in a sermon, has said this. A refiner's fire refines. It purifies. It melts down the bar of silver or gold, and it separates out the impurities that ruin its value and burns them up, and leaves the silver and gold intact. He, he the messenger of the covenant, is like a refiner's fire. Now, why must he be a refiner's fire? The answer is implied in the word itself. He must be like a refiner's fire because we need to be refined. We were created in the image of God with the potential to reverence God and trust Him and obey Him and glorify Him, but we were born in iniquity and in sin did our mothers conceive us. We were shot through with the impurity of rebellion and unbelief, and we fall short of God's glory again and again. So we are impure by nature and by practice, but... God will have no alloys in heaven. He quotes Matthew 5. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And yet, God will have someone in heaven. He will have a redeemed people. His banquet hall will be full, and therefore he must be a refiner's fire. If he were only a forest fire, heaven would be empty. If he were only an incinerating fire, heaven would be empty. And if he were no fire, Heaven would be empty. The reason Jesus is refiner's fire and not a forest fire is because God made a covenant. And Jesus is the emissary of that covenant. He confirms it and seals it with his blood. So his blood is called in Hebrews 13:20, the blood of the everlasting covenant. End quote. John Piper. And then Herbert Wolf puts it, talks about the fuller's soap. Malachi connects the refiner's fire and the fuller's soap, referring to the second cleansing process. The fuller was a laundryman who cleaned clothes by trampling on them until the dirt was removed. A strong soap was used in this process, a kind of lye or bleach. Shining clothes were a symbol of purity, Revelation 3, 5. And on the Mount of Transfiguration in the Gospels, Christ's garments were whiter than any launderer on earth can whiten them. Mark chapter 9, verse 3. Fuller's soap, purification. Verse 3 and 4, it says, a purifier of the sons of Levi. We'll purify the sons of Levi, refine them like gold and silver. We, talk, we, we, we listen to the reading of Scripture, 1 Peter chapter 1, pointing to, to God's refining and purifying process in our own lives as believers, the lives of his children. <coughs> said, Peter says this, In this you, re you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, 
You've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to, be re to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So God refines us. He tests us by fire. Verse 4 also points to the, the restoration process of worship, the, 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 the sons of Levi by being restored, refined, purified. Um, reminds me, you know, when Messiah comes, reminds me of the conversation that Jesus had in John chapter 4 with the woman at the well, where, where you know, Jesus says that worship is going to be restored, and she says, yeah, it'll be restored when Messiah comes, and Jesus says, I am Messiah, I am he, I am he. There's a, there's a restoration of pure worship that will take place when Messiah comes. And, and, and that's hinted at here in this passage in Malachi. Verses 5 to 7, they continue on. They point, those verses begin to point us to, to judgment. I, verse, I, I will draw near to you what judgment, swift witness against a, a list of people, sorcerers, adulterers, false witnesses, oppressors of workers and widows and orphans and sojourners. So, so the passage is moving towards this, this, this fire of of, of, of Purifying the fire of judgment seems to be what the, 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 um, the prophet is talking about here. And the one I left out, though, is the most important one of the list. In verse 5, the last one. And those who do not fear me. Because that's the root of the problem. That's the essence of the problem. The ultimate indictment is living a life that passively ignores God, the God who created us, the God who loved us, the God who takes care of us, or actively rebelling against the same God who cares for us and loves us and created us. Either way, whether it's passive or it's active, the result's the same. The result is the lifestyle begins to look like that list of a godless life. The inevitable fruit of not acknowledging the true living God. It begins in our hearts. That's where it begins. Verse 6 reminds us that God doesn't change. It's always been that way. <coughs> God has been absolutely consistent in, from Genesis to Revelation declaring that, that not fearing him, not acknowledging him, leads to a life of godlessness, which if unchecked, leads to judgment. We don't often like to hear that. But that's what, the, that's what he's reminding us of. He's talked about the, uh, uh, the, the purifying fire. Fire use is often used in... in in, in, in purification, it's also used in judgment. And the reality in Scripture is that, that those who have, have not repented before God and, and, have, and have actively or passively rebelled against God, there's judgment ahead. That's what the Scriptures teach us. And so the, the ultimate question of life is which fire do you desire? The fire of being purified by Jesus Christ. Of, of letting it into your life to clean you up and, and straighten you out like, like, like we all need or resisting that and unfortunately experiencing the fire of God's judgment. Jesus Christ died and he experienced judgment for each of us so that we might go free and not have to be judged. That's the gospel. Believe in the gospel. The good news is, is, is what we sang last night. The son has come and he has won. Every battle, he fought one by one. He came in and he became sin. He fought for me and set me free. I'm bound for glory because I'm a good person? No, because the Son has come. 
That's the gospel. The, the, the one who, who come is the one who's the purifying refiner. And he wants to do that purification work in each of our lives. The last portion of our text is, is verses 1 to 3 of chapter 4. Jesus comes as a righteous healer. The son of righteousness with healing in his wings. <coughs> Malachi circles back around to the judgment theme here. He's talked actually in chapter 3 uh, there's a section where he talks about tithing and hearts that fail to give God what he deserves. But he circles back around now to the issue of judgment. Burning like an oven. Set them all ablaze. Notice the imagery's there. The scriptures use several imageries of the place of the lost. In Mark 9, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus says uh, that we should fear being cast into a place where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. What is he talking about? In Luke 16, there's a, there's a parable that Jesus gives, which is very interesting. It's a parable, but it seems there's a great chasm separating those who are lost and those who are resting in the bosom of Abraham. But the fire is the normal, the, the one of the, there's, there's also imagery of darkness that the scriptures use, but the main imagery we, that the scriptures use to try to get us to understand the horrors of life without God eternally is, is fire. And this week, here in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, we've had horrible, these horrible fires that you might have seen on the news. There's a picture of that, of just some of the devastation, the incredible devastation. Uh, my, my dad's family, they kind of navigated to, to Tennessee, Knoxville. Gatlinburg's a little south of there. We've been down to, to Gatlinburg and Pigeon Forge, all those little rural areas down there. We've been there. <laughs> Uh, well, during reunions and things, and uh, there's a lot of green. There's a lot to burn down there, and I, we, we're praying for those folks down there. Uh, some have died. But fire is, is very destructive, very destructive. From the time those two cavemen rubbed those sticks together, they found that fire is good, fire is destructive. But in the New Testament, Jesus talked about the, the idea of hell. He used the word Gehenna in, in the original language, and uh, here's what one, one man says about this word, very important word. Um, uh, the word Jesus used in, in the Greek is Gehenna, which actually means the valley of the son of Hinnom. That's the city of Jerusalem, and the down in the valley is the, the valley of the son of Hinnom. It's a place where bad things happened. Child sacrifice, bodies were cremated. Basically, imagine a dump where garbage is burned. Add into that the vision of burning bodies and the historical connotation of child sacrifice, and you'll see that it, was a very, it wasn't a very desirable place. However, it was a very literal place in Jerusalem. The original audience of Jesus would have understood it as such. They would have realized that Jesus was talking about an actual place outside the city. Gehenna. Jesus, in talking about where the, the lost would be, he used that image of Gehenna, this garbage dump. I don't know if we have our kids, some of our kids went to school in Pennsylvania, in Philadelphia, and well, my daughter still lives in Pennsylvania. So we, 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 we go to Pennsylvania a lot. And when we go to, we always go around Wilmington. When we go on 495 around Wilmington, you go over this hill. And, and, and then as you come down the hill, you begin to smell incredible filth, stench. And, and, and if you look and see, as you go over the hill, you see there's the garbage dump of Wilmington. There it is. But you smell it before you see it if the wind's blowing the right way, well, the wrong way. <laughs> you, you say, oh, there it is. You, you make sure your windows are all the way up and you just hold your nose and for 30 seconds you, you drive past it and then it, the, the stench goes away. But every time I do that, 
we drive up to Philadelphia around the, the, the stench. I think about the Valley of Hinnom. I think about Gehenna. It reminds me of the sober truth that Jesus told us that everybody that's talking about heaven is not necessarily going there. And there is a place, a garbage dump, imagery he used, for those who reject his love. Verse 2, chapter 4, verse 2. But, but, contrast, but for you who fear my name. Fearing the name of God. This is, the fear of God is an important theme in Malachi. A couple of verses here, Malachi 1.14. I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts. My name will be feared among the nations. Malachi 2.5. My covenant with him, Levi the priest, was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. Malachi 3.5. We saw this verse. I will, uh, I will draw near to you into judgment. I will be a swift witness against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me. Malachi 3.16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. Lord, the Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. There's a theme that runs through Malachi. Those who, the people of the covenant, the people who've embraced God, the people who, have walk, who are seeking to walk in, 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 in obedience and faith are those who, who are God-fearers. They, they fear the Lord. They, 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 they have a, an incredible appreciation for the awesomeness of God. And I, I'm afraid that we've lost some of that in our day, where God becomes everybody's buddy. I think we've lost some of that in our day. Yes, the love of God is an incredible thing, but the God who loves us is a consuming fire. And if he were to show up right here, the Lord of heaven and earth would show up, we would not run to him and put our arms around him. Our first instinct would be to, to fall on our knees and face, and he would say, don't be afraid, fear not. And then he would invite us to come. But no, we think that, we have this sense that God is everybody's buddy. There's, there, 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 that is part of the indictment of, of our day. It was part of the indictment of, of Malachi's day. Now, in contrast to the arrogant and to all the evildoers, is the promise of a coming day of blessing and salvation for those who fear my name. So into the dark depiction of God's judgment comes good news. We don't have to experience hell or darkness and the stench that our sins deserve because rising up out of the darkness comes in verse 2, the son of righteousness. The son of righteousness rising up with healing in his wings. So we sang that song. Hail the heaven-born prince of peace. Hail the son of righteousness. Light and life to all he brings. Risen with healing in his wings. He brings joy. Jesus brings joy. Leaping like calves. Look at the imagery there. Leaping like calves. In verse 3, there's a picture of God's people joyously treading down the wicked and placing them under the soles of our feet. This hints at uh, the ultimate victory of God's people over the wicked in the world. Uh, Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, talked about the meek shall inherit the earth. That's, what, that's what's implied there. Revelation says, we shall rule as a kingdom of priests upon the earth. We need to hear that. We need to hear that, the victory of Christ. You know, I learned that in this, in this dark and and sinful world, it's easy to get very discouraged very quickly because just crazy stuff happens around you and in you. We're a mess. Life is a mess. <laughs> and at times, the only thing to do is to stop and pause and read God's Word and talk to God. And, and you know, when I, when I slow down I, I, enough to do that, I find that no matter how bad things look, this thing called life has a great ending for those who know Christ. 
life eternal. Life that doesn't end. Life that, 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 that goes on and on. Sin is defeated by Jesus. Do we understand that? Satan is defeated by Jesus. Death is defeated by Jesus. It's very simple. In the end, Jesus will win. Justice will win. Holiness will win. Righteousness will win. The people of God will win. As Romans says, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And so the Advent season is that time where we pause and think and celebrate this reality. With all the, the pain and the darkness of this world, of this life, ultimate victory is ours in Jesus Christ. Jesus comes to us as heaven's solution, the final solution, the ultimate solution to our greatest need. He's the messenger of the covenant. In fact, he himself is the message. He comes with fire to judge and fire to purify. He comes with his ministry of righteousness and his ministry of healing of our deepest longings. Malachi's messianic predictions anticipate Christ's ultimate victory over the forces of evil in our world and in our lives. And, and, and that ultimate victory, we celebrate that certainty each month as we celebrate the Lord's table. Because the victory is not because of us. That victory, which is certain, is certain because of him. Because what he did for us who believed simply in his death for sinners. This is the table of the Lord. Each month we celebrate reminding ourselves of his death for us. As we sing in that song, nothing in my hands I bring simply to the cross I cling. It's all about him who died for us, not about us. The only thing we bring is the sin for which he had to die. We also officers to come forward as we continue. On the night that Jesus was betrayed in the upper room, he took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he, he took the cup, said, this cup is a new covenant shed for the remission of sins. Drink it in remembrance of me. Whenever you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim, you announce my death until I come again. Jesus transformed that Passover night into a new covenant celebration of what he was to do the next morning. And so, and so for you, through the ages, believers have celebrated this great sacrament, the simplicity of it, the simple elements of, of bread and, and, and the cup of, of juice, wine. But, but it's for those who know and understand the message and have believed the message and have embraced Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, who have turned from their sin, who are part of God's fellowship of believers and are awaiting and trusting in him as the second coming is for those who believe us, who believe in him as well, we who believe. If you, if you don't understand all that, if, if this is foreign to you, if, it's not, if you're not sure what it's all about, or if you've never completely given yourself to Christ, we ask you to let the elements pass by, but pray and pray, Lord, help me to understand, help me to believe. Give me faith. It'll be clear to me. If you're a child and you, you come and your, your, your parents have talked to you and you've been proved for this, drink gladly. Let's pray. The scriptures say examine yourself. Pray. <coughs>